Well, as we come to the text today and consider the work of God, the Spirit, in our lives, we're encouraged because it's frequent in our lives that we feel inadequate. We don't have enough, whether it's strength, whether it's wisdom, whether it's understanding, whether it's time, whether it's health, whether it's money, whether it's power. It really doesn't matter what category you want to pick. As humans, we are finite. We are limited. And so we're constantly faced with circumstances, situations, challenges that are above and beyond what we can do. We're inadequate. And I imagine that's a little bit what the disciples felt like towards the end of Acts chapter 1, as Jesus had given them these two commands. Number one, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. Number two, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Number one's not so daunting. I can go to Jerusalem and wait. Yep, got that. But to witness for Christ to the ends of the earth? Now, remember, remember who these 12 are. Now, there are more followers at this point than just the 12, but let's just think about the 12. Let's start there. These are not high-ranking politicians. They're not highly educated men. Most of them were fishermen. Those that weren't fishermen had employment that was looked down upon by the surrounding community. So these were not highly influential people. As we'll see in today's text, they came from Galilee, which was considered a region where the uneducated dwelled. Mostly just manual labor, fishermen and things like that. So they didn't have a lot of respect. They weren't seasoned travelers. The majority of the traveling they'd done had just been over the last three years in their time with Jesus, where He had helped them find food and places to stay and so on and so forth. So this is a task far beyond their ability. Inadequate. But as we come to Acts chapter 2, we watch as God completely empowers them to accomplish this mission. In fact, it could be argued that right here in Acts chapter 2, we see God like complete His mission from beginning to end. No, not every person on earth has heard the testimony of Christ, but some from every nation begin to hear the word of Christ here in Acts chapter 2. Not because of the adequacy of the followers of Christ, but because God's power completely enables them to accomplish His mission. And so, friend, as you look at your own life and the areas where you may feel inadequate, be encouraged today because when it comes to God's mission for you, the reason you're here on the earth, God's purpose for you, He has completely enabled you, empowered you to do what He's called you to do. And that's encouraging. That's the theme of our text today. God completely empowers us to accomplish His mission. God completely empowers us to accomplish His mission. And as we work down through this text, we're going to see exactly how God does this as we watch it happen in the lives of the disciples, these Galilean fishermen who are not adequate on their own. 
watch it unfold and we'll learn how it is that God makes us adequate as well. Now, I need to pause and make a comment on the text. When we started our series in Acts, I told you that most of the time our goal would be to take complete stories at a time, because that's how the text is written. And we'll understand what's happening in these accounts and study them. Well, we're not going to do that today. In fact, all of chapter 2 is one complete story. And so I just want to point that out to you. We're covering just the first scene in this account. Scene 2 happens in verses 14 through 36. And Lord willing, we'll cover that next week. The entire scene is a sermon. So look at that. Peter wrote my sermon for me next week. We'll just read those verses and we should be fine. It's a sermon. It's, It's Peter's first sermon, which is really cool. And so we'll study that next week. We'll hear from Peter. And then following verse 35 and 36, 37 down through 47, we'll cover, Lord willing, in three weeks. That's kind of the response to Peter's sermon. So this event raises some questions. People want to know what it means. Peter answers those questions in his sermon, and then there's a response to the sermon following. So there's our full account And we're just looking at the event that happened that raised these questions that brought Peter's sermon. So what exactly happened? The Spirit arrived. God fulfilled His promise. And so this is the first means by which, really it's the only means by which God completely empowers us to accomplish His mission. Number one this morning, He gives us His Spirit. Notice what happens in the account that Luke records for us in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. First, Luke gives us the timing. He says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. That word fully come is a a unique word for the word arrived or was here. And you see it reflected in the New King James, fully come. And you're like, well, wait a second, it's either here, it's not here. What do you mean it fully came? Well, the root of the word has the idea of something being fulfilled. And so in that sense, it's fully come. Something is going to be fulfilled on this day of Pentecost. And it's the promise of the Father and the Son to send the Spirit. Fulfilled. It was the day of Pentecost. It was one of the three pilgrimage feasts in Judaism. The pilgrimage feasts were the ones where people from all over the Jewish religion, people had spread to all nations. They would come back to Jerusalem to worship during this feast. And it celebrated God's harvest. It celebrated the the produce that God had provided, the fruits, as it were, the bounty from harvest. It also was celebrated as the time that God had given His law. Which, as you think about those two aspects of the celebration, the the fruit that God gives and the word that God gives, I think it's interesting that it was on Pentecost that God gives the Spirit who gave us both fruits in life and ministry and the word of God for us written down. Day of Pentecost. Now, why is it called Pentecost? Well, the word penta, you probably recognize that prefix, means 50 or 5, it has to do with 5, and in this case it means 50, because Pentecost was 50 days following Passover. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. 
It was also called the Festival of Weeks because it's seven week, or excuse me, a week of weeks or seven weeks. If you think about it that way, 49 days, the day of Pentecost was the 50th day. So there's your little Jewish history glimpse right there. An interesting feast, an interesting celebration, and it's for this reason there are all sorts of Jews in Jerusalem ready to worship for the feast here on the day of Pentecost. And the disciples, the followers of Christ, we find them again in verse 1, gathered in one accord in one place. If you remember our previous text, they had been praying, and it was that praying that had been in one accord. And so we're not told that they're still praying here, but my guess is that's the majority of what's going on in the 10 days between Christ's ascension and the day of Pentecost, where we find them here. They're gathered in one place. They're praying together, maybe as many as 120 in this room, in this upper room, praying together, seeking the Lord's gift of the Holy Spirit united together with this desire. And so the action begins in verse 2. Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They hear this noise, the noise of a strong wind, as Iowans were well accustomed to the sound of wind, right? I grew up in uh, Chicago, and uh, you may know that one of the nicknames Chicago has is the Windy City, right? So I remember moving to Iowa and uh, for college, and everybody began, knowing that I was from the Chicago area, everybody began saying to me, oh, well, it's, it, you're, you're used to this, right? You're from the Windy City. It's probably not that windy here to you. And I'd have to explain that, no, the, the, the nickname Windy City has to do with the long-winded politicians. <laughs> it's not windy in Chicago, And so coming to Iowa, it was shocking. I was like, wow, this wind like cuts to your bones in the wintertime. Like it doesn't matter what kind of coat you're wearing. It's just incredible, right? We hear the sound of those gusts of winds. We know the sound of wind. And so that's what they hear. If you've ever been near a tornado, sometimes it's described as a sound of like a train coming because the wind is loud. Now, we don't know whether there was actually wind or if it was just the sound of the wind, but either way, it echoed through the house. And I think it may have even been shaking the house as the sound is all through. Everyone's hear it. Hearing it, in fact, as we'll study later in the text, those outside the house in the nearby areas of Jerusalem heard the sound and gathered to see what was going on. So a large, massive, shaking sound echoing through this house. So we see in verse 2, again, it filled the whole house where they were sitting In verse 3, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. So the first, I'll I'll use the word visible, though it was just audible. The first visible sign of the Spirit's presence was this wind. And wind is connected to the Spirit throughout Scripture because in Hebrew, they're actually the same word. It's really interesting. Not, Not true here, it's a different word. It's the word for wind, not the word for Spirit, but they're connected words. And so, wind signified the presence of God's Spirit. But there's also these flames of fire, the second visible, this time not audible, but visual reminder of the Spirit's presence, were these flames of fire as divided tongues. And it's hard to know exactly what that looked like. Uh, There actually are similarities, if you pause to reflect on it for a moment, between a tongue and a flame of fire. They kind of have that, you know, similar 
triangular shape, right? Okay, our tongues aren't pointed like a flame of fire. I understand that, but but I'm guessing that's how Luke is trying to describe this, is this sort of the triangular shape of a flame, and it, and it sort of sat upon each of them, and they could see visibly that something was here. Fire often represented the presence of God in Scripture, right? You can think back, the, the burning bush episode represented God's presence to Moses. The pillar of fire in the wilderness, which represented God's presence with His people as He led them. You can think through in the New Testament when uh, the, uh, the apostle, excuse me, not the apostle, John the Baptist predicted that this baptism would come, and he said that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so I think what's happening here, this is the baptism of the Spirit. That the wind and the fire represent the presence of God now in them, as Jesus had predicted in John 14, 17, he said to them, you know the Spirit, He has been with you, but soon He will be in you, in you, indwelling them permanently. And that's exactly what is happening here, this baptism of the Spirit. It was Luke, in Luke chapter 3, who had recorded that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so the the visual representations, the sound of the wind and the flames resting over them were to show them the inward thing that was happening that they could not feel. The Spirit's presence is not a feeling. So God is using these visual things to show them, this is it, this is what's happening. The Spirit now is in you, Christ from His ascended throne, from the Father, the Spirit has been sent. And so now, they are permanently indwelt by God's Spirit. I don't think this is just the twelve. The text tells us in verse 3 that it sat upon each of them. And as we've been learning already, this is not just the twelve gathered. There's up to 120 that they knew by name gathered in this room. And each of them receives the Spirit This is connected to faith in Christ and salvation. Not only are they baptized in the Spirit, but then in verse 4, something else happens. Luke tells us there, they were also filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Not only are they baptized with the Spirit, that's the permanent indwelling of God's Spirit in us when we trust in Christ as Savior, but they're also filled with the Spirit. Now, through the book of Acts, we'll see that distinction continue, the difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit is consistently brought upon someone at a time that they had need for ministry. When they needed to speak the words of Christ, when they needed strength to do something, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do what was needed to do, different from this permanent baptism. And so it is here as well. God was ready to do ministry, and so He filled them with the Spirit, and immediately they began speaking in tongues. They're empowered by God, and that empowerment is made clear in verse 4, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So again, they're baptized with the Spirit, signified by the wind and the the tongues of fire. And then they're also filled with the Spirit, empowered for ministry, signified by the speaking in tongues. God wants to make this visible, not only to believers, the wind and the fire for the believers, but God also wants to make this visible to unbelievers, the speaking in tongues. 
And so he enables them to speak in these foreign languages. As we continue through the text, it becomes obvious that they're speaking in foreign languages. This is not some strange heavenly language. This is not some made-up language. These were spoken, current, common languages from areas in the region that the disciples did not know beforehand, but have been enabled by God's Spirit to speak so that those who need to hear the message of Christ from all over the globe who have gathered here in Jerusalem can hear of the wonderful works of God. What a miracle. This is the fulfillment of God's promise. As John the Baptist had foretold, Jesus has now baptized them with the Holy Spirit. As Jesus himself had promised, the Spirit is now dwelling in them. As Jesus had promised as recently as in Acts 1-4, just 10 days ago, that they were to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit came. Now the Spirit has come and would enable them to do ministry. The words of Christ were still echoing in their own minds. Without me, you can do nothing. But now they have the Spirit of Christ. They're ready to witness to the world, and that's the first thing they begin doing as soon as the Spirit arrives. They begin speaking of the wonderful works of God and the Jews gathered in Jerusalem who need to believe in Jesus as Messiah here, and as we'll see in the next section, respond. Everyone who believes in Christ as Savior is cleansed of sin and becomes the very dwelling place of God. Immediately, when we trust in Christ, the Spirit comes to dwell in us permanently. And we have the fullness of God in us, equipping us to do ministry, to fulfill His purposes for us whenever those things come up. He has completely empowered us to accomplish His mission. We're aware in life of those things that we really need, right? Some things, it's, it's hard to get by without them. I was reminded of that uh, the last couple days. I'd done, done some traveling to Cleveland, Ohio, there and back again just in two days. and So a couple of flights with layovers and, and, and the whole thing. So on my trip back, I was in Cleveland and arrived at the airport later than I like to. It was about one hour before my flight was to take off. And so I had to get through security and to the gates all within that hour before the flight left, which typically is doable unless the security line is really long. And so there was this series of events that unfolded. I was with a friend, and we went to the first security line, and it was completely closed. They weren't even using it. We went to the second security line, which was, of course, a bit of a walk away. And when we got to that one, ah, good, the line's short, so we got in line. Oh, this is for pre-check only. Okay, So we left that line and went to the third and final line, the only line that was open for uh, your average traveler, like myself, and it was long, way past the nylon, you know, seatbelt things that, you know, got the line, Uh, out beyond that, you know, I actually walked past the line because I thought to myself, there's no way that's the line, (laughs) it's got to be shorter, it's going to be up there somewhere, no, 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 that was the line, so we went back to the end of the line. And so I'm sort of talking with the Lord, you know, trying to keep the stress levels from rising here. Okay, Lord, help, help us to get through this line in time so I can get to my plane. And so my friend and I are talking and joking and, you know, having a good time. And the line's moving fairly quickly. 
So I think, all right, well, I'll get ready. You've got to get your ID out and your boarding pass, which I had on my phone. And so, okay, I'll get these things out. So I get my ID out. We're good there. I get my boarding pass out, which I had the night before downloaded and and put on my phone and everything was set. It was all there. And so I go to pull it up on my phone and it's not there. I don't know where it went. I still haven't figured that out. It was gone. It's completely gone. No boarding pass. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, all right, this is not a big deal. We can, we can make this work. And so I uh, go over to the, the app for the airline, right? And there's a button there that says, download boarding pass. That's the one I want. So I click that, nothing happens. Okay, click it again, nothing happens. Okay, click it again, nothing happens. Shut down the app, start it again, try clicking it again, nothing happens. The app is down, it's not working. Okay, there's got to be another way I can get to my boarding pass. So I remember, ah, they emailed me after I checked in. So I went back to my email, pulled up the email. Check, you've checked in. Would you like to download your boarding pass? Yes, I click that. Leads to the uh, airline uh, website, which is frozen. Okay, all right, this is not working. So I shared with my friend to see if he had any ideas, what are some other ways I can get my boarding pass, you know. And so the, the line by this point is getting, I can see the, the guards that are waiting to, you know, see my ID, and they often ask for your boarding pass too. And so I, I, it's close, right? I need to get this down. We say, well, wh- why don't we just pray about it? He said, I said, you know what? That's a good idea. So we paused to pray. And I kind of had one eye open watching the website (laughs) to see if it had loaded yet as my friend prayed for the situation. And he prayed, and and, uh, I I continued to work at it as the line gets closer. There were literally like five people in front of me when finally the website started working. I could download my boarding pass. It pulled up on my phone, and I walked up to the booth excited and ready to go, and he only wanted to see my ID. Now, of course, I did need the boarding pass to get on the plane uh, later uh, that day, which wasn't that long uh, after that point. I made it to the gates. I showed my boarding pass. I got on the plane, and here I am. We made it, right? God is good. When the boarding pass showed up, I turned to my friend, and I said, the Lord answers prayer. He does. The Lord is the one we need. And even in that moment when I thought, well, what I really need is my boarding pass, (laughs) We just need the Lord's help. That's what we need. And the Lord was in control. And he had given me his spirit. I had all that I needed in that moment to rest in his sovereign control, even if that meant missing my flight, whatever that would mean, right? God has given us his spirit and by his spirit has completely empowered us to accomplish his mission. Everything we need. This happens, of course, at salvation, Looking back on this event, Peter makes an interesting statement in Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. At this point in the book of Acts, Peter's amazed because God has burst the doors open wide and the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And and non-Jews are believing in Jesus as Savior. And Peter's amazed at this. And Other believers, Jewish believers, are amazed. Can God really be doing this? And what Peter does to prove to them that, yes, this is really happening, is he makes this statement, Acts 11, 15 through 17. 
Peter says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. The beginning is referring back to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in them. Then, Peter says, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave the same gift as he gave us, when? When we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So those who trusted in Christ as Savior, those who believed, receive the Holy Spirit. And as we'll go through the books of Acts, a big giveaway here, it's the doors are open for Gentiles as well as Jews, people from all nations to trust in Christ. And so the question there is, do you have God's Spirit? Have you trusted in Christ as Savior? And if you have, then you have God's Spirit. Being indwelt by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is an act of faith. It's not a feeling. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Being filled with the Spirit, different than spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is the wholeness of God's Spirit in us. We don't need to ask for more. (laughs) Being filled with the Spirit is a choice I make to yield to God's Spirit, not to get more of His Spirit. I already have all of it. But we know in the New Testament, I can quench God's Spirit when I choose to sin against what I know God wants me to do. So being filled with the Spirit is really yielding, submitting, trusting Him to enable me and to use me for His glory. And so with God's Spirit, we have everything we need to accomplish His mission. Number two today, not only does He give us His Spirit, but He enables us to spread His Word. He enables us to spread His Word. Now, we knew this was coming because as soon as they're filled with the Spirit, they begin speaking in foreign languages. Verses 5 through 11 tell us more about what it was that they were speaking and what's happening here. Now, in verse 5, Luke steps back from this monumental event to give us a little more context. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of extra Jews in Jerusalem for Pentecost. The most devout Jews, as Luke points out in verse, in verse 5. Devout men from every nation under heaven. So, Jews from all over the globe. Had, they had traveled far. There had been a period of time when they had been dispersed, sent away from from Rome and from Jerusalem and so forth. And so now there were Jews dwelling all over, and so they came back to Jerusalem for this gathering. People from all nations. And we begin to see what God is doing here. Like He had said to them, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, people from all nations. They had heard the sound of the rushing wind, verse 6 tells us. The multitude came together and were confused. So they they hear the wind and they draw near now to this event. And now, now that they're closer, they begin hearing them speaking in foreign languages. In all sorts of different foreign languages. But each of them could hear one of these followers of Christ speaking in his own language, as verse 6 tells us. 
what is this? They're gathering around the followers of Christ. And I don't think this is limited to just the 12, because if we go on in the text, there's a list of regions and languages longer than just 12. So, so I think this is all the followers that were gathered there have been given this ability to speak in languages, and that the Jews who've gathered from all the nations can hear them in their own heart language. Verse 7, they marvel, they're, they're amazed, and they marvel at this, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? <laughs> and again, we have to understand the, the historical context of this that was likely meant to be an insult, that they knew this group of followers, the majority of them, were from Galilee, and that, that meant they're not educated. There's no logical reason they should know these languages, They're from Galilee, they probably spoke Aramaic, naturally, maybe knew Greek. But beyond that, they shouldn't know all these other languages. And so these people are amazed. These uneducated men are speaking in all these foreign tongues. Verse 8, and they hear each in their own language in which they were born. Now think of the kindness of God here. These Jews from all over, all sorts of nations, come to Jerusalem, and they have a language that they grew up speaking. Sometimes we refer to that as our heart language. It's the language we think in most naturally, the language we dream in most naturally. It's just the foundational language we learn. And as these Jews are gathered in Jerusalem, God brings the gospel to them in their heart language. How kind is that? Now, they could have understood the language that the disciples spoke, Aramaic. They they could have heard that and understood that. Greek was a common language at the time. Maybe they could have chosen Greek, and they all could have kind of gotten along in the middle. But God kindly brings the gospel to them in their own heart language. And it's God who does it. He, as verse 4 pointed out to us, through His Spirit, gave them utterance. He enabled them to speak in foreign languages. So cool. Now, there's some that take this as a miracle of healing, that they're just hearing them in foreign languages. But like I said in verse 4, I think that completely shuts that down. The gift here, the miracle here, is the Spirit giving His followers utterance. They're able to speak in foreign languages. And so, with all those languages, each listener can find one follower of Christ who was speaking in their home language. And then in verses 9 through 11, we have this great list. We're not going to get into into detail today. Uh, Luke lists some of the listeners that were there and the different regions surrounding Jerusalem that people had come from. And this extends to, you know, much of the known world at this time that had traveled back to Jerusalem. All kinds of people And verse 11 concludes it well. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. The disciples are praising God. This is what happens when the Spirit has freedom to work in us because we're yielded to Him. We speak the wonderful works of God. And here, the special miracle that God gives so that non-believers can see the testimony and hear the testimony that the Spirit has come, that these speakers are speaking in their language, language that they didn't know. And God 
has done this to testify to the veracity of his word. God uses the disciples to proclaim the wonderful works of God in their heart languages. Hebrews 4.4 helps us understand a little more why this would have happened. Hebrews 4.4 says this, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. God was using these foreign languages to bear witness to the fact that these disciples were speaking the truth about Jesus. And the Jews who had come and were hearing the wonderful works of God would, would listen in. And in fact, I think it has exactly the intended result in verse 12. They're amazed and perplexed, saying, What could this mean? God's laying the groundwork for Peter's sermon, which will come in verse 14. They're curious. How are they speaking in my language? I'm listening to them describe the wonderful works of God. How is this possible? What does this mean? And Peter is about to explain. You'll have to come back next week for that part. There's an interesting fact floating around the internet, hard to prove, but it does make a lot of sense, that the entire world, every individual, is connected by six contacts or fewer. So what that means is that you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, that's three, who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And that would reach every individual on the planet as you follow that web of contacts. And they've done a variety of experiments to try to prove that, and it's worked. Again, it's difficult to prove that fact, but uh, what they would do is give somebody a package and a name and an address of where it needed to be delivered. And so the person who received it would say, well, who do I know that has any connection to that region, right? And so they'd give it to that person. And that person would then say, okay, well, who do I know that might be in that neighborhood or might have some kind of context? So they give it to that person. And so within six contacts, those packages arrived at their destination just by human relationship. Isn't that interesting? So while on the one hand the globe is incredibly vast and large and there are billions of people, on the other hand, within six relationships, you are connected to everybody. So think of what's amazing about what God did here in Acts 2. As these Jews gathered from the regions, came to Jerusalem, and heard the message of Christ in their own heart language, many of them would end up believing And go back to their region. And now, within just five contacts, every individual on the earth could be reached with the message of the gospel. Think about that in your life. Who do you know? And though it may seem to you, well, what's the big deal if my neighbor trusts in Christ? What's the big deal if this person trusts in Christ? They're just one person. I can't reach the ends of the earth, but... Within six contacts, you actually could. And that every person with whom we share the words of Christ, the message of Christ, add to the impact around the entire globe of the message of the gospel going forth and reaching all people. See, God has enabled us to spread His word. 
His word is effective and he opens the right doors. God will use your neighborhood, your workplace, your connections. Always have your eyes open for those contacts that the Lord brings into your life. Look for the seekers. Look for those who are ready to hear the word, to hear the gospel, because sometimes God brings the world to us. And it may be that he does indeed want you to go. But let's start by being faithful with the contacts he's given us now. And how he might use those contexts to take the gospel all over the world. He'll give us help to speak. He draws the person to faith. We don't do that. You see, there's just, there's nothing really we do in the process but to share the words of God. And even that is a work and a help of the Holy Spirit. So be ready to share the wonderful works of God. Have you ever considered practicing sharing your testimony of salvation? How you came to know Christ as Savior? I encourage you to practice telling that story, and not just as a story, but specifically as a means of presenting the gospel, so that a person listening, as they hear you share your testimony, as a person listening, they would know exactly what needs to happen in order for them to trust in Christ. That is one of the greatest ways you can declare the wonderful works of God. What did God do in your life? I was six years old in Sunday school. I'd grown up in the church. I'd heard the good news that Jesus had died for my sins and rose again. Who knows how many times already by the age of six. My dad was a pastor and man, I I was familiar with church. But that day in Sunday school is when God opened my eyes to the fact that that little six-year-old was the one who needed to be saved. It never occurred to me before. It's kind of like, well, that's cool that Jesus died and rose again. That's great for all those people that need to be saved. That All they have to do is trust in Him and they're saved. Good for them, you know. But finally, God had opened my eyes to see that I was the sinner. I had committed sins against God by disobeying my parents. And you know, we look back on those sins as a child and we think, well, that's not that big of a deal, right? No, no, no. A lie's a lie. And it put Christ on the cross. And God opened my eyes to the fact that I was the one who needed a Savior. And He helped my mind to understand. The Sunday school teacher asked if anybody wanted to make a decision. Maybe she saw me, just the wheels turning. I don't know. I don't think she always asked, but she did that Sunday. And I raised my hand. I, I need to trust in Christ as Savior. We prayed together. And I went and told my dad after that excitedly what I had done as he got ready to get up and preach for the morning worship service. I'm so thankful for the way God has worked in my life, bringing the message of the gospel, one contact to another contact, and opening my eyes and drawing me to faith so that I could trust in Him. I wonder, have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you have, who have you told? With whom have you shared the story of how you came to Christ by faith? Oh, may the Lord use that to spread his gospel truth around the globe. The final thing we notice in this text comes in verses 12 and 13. We see number three today. He makes his word effective. Not only does he give us his spirit, not only does he enable us to spread his word, he makes his word effective 
effective. And in verses 12 and 13, we just notice that the word has its intended effect. You've got one group of people who are hearing this. And in verse 12, we read that they're, they're amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what could this mean? I, I think this is the work of the Spirit of God beginning to draw them to the right place where they're ready to hear the gospel. And so in Peter's sermon, he'll share a clear presentation of the gospel and to give away the ending of our story. 3,000 souls trust in Christ. We know that wasn't Peter. It's the Spirit of God using this miracle, the message of the, the gospel in their heart language. How kind is our God? And then to empower Peter to preach this great sermon, to draw these people to faith so that the gospel would go forth. God is the one who makes his word effective. We see part of that effectiveness in verse 13 as well. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. At first reading, it doesn't seem like God's word has been very effective in their lives. But what the word of God does from when the prophets of the Old Testament were speaking, through the life of Jesus Christ himself, through now the New Testament, the words of Christ recorded through his apostles by the work of the Holy Spirit, what the word does is bring to light what's in our hearts. And so here we see exactly the opposition. Jesus made this clear in John chapter 3. What happens when the light comes into the world? Well, some will believe, but others will reject. Why? Because they love the darkness because their deeds are evil. One of the effects of the word is to bring to light what is in our hearts like is happening here with these others who mock. (laughs) They're full of new wine. Obviously, that's an impossibility. It doesn't make any sense. Wine does not result in speaking foreign languages. (laughs) Spoken foreign languages. Real ones, right? It doesn't happen. Not only that, but they reference that this is new wine. Why? Because it's harvest and so the fresh wine has just been harvested from the fields. Well, the grapes and, you know, you know the process. Anyway, it's just been harvested. This is fresh wine, which was not fermented nearly as much. So it's sweet. This is sugar-induced speaking in other languages, apparently. <laughs> there, there's no logic to their resistance here. And that's what the Word has done. It's revealed the sinfulness of their hearts that they're just opposed to God. They have no good reason to be. God's word is effective. Isaiah 55, 11 puts it this way. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God always accomplishes its purposes. That doesn't mean that a person will always come to faith in Christ. But it will reveal, will bring to light where they're at. Not everyone will respond positively, but everyone will respond. 
I was thinking about this idea of responding to the word. Uh, Again, an airport story for you. The last leg of my journey, I had a layover in Dallas, and it was a short layover, and I wanted to catch some dinner as well. And so I selected one of the restaurants, uh, which, was, which was great. I'd never eaten at a Whataburger, and so they had those in Dallas, Texas. So I like to try new things. So I, hey, that sounds great. I'll go for that. So I got myself a burger, and I waited in line, and, and it was excellent service there. Uh, things went well. There were a lot of people trying to order dinner, and so the wait took a little longer than I expected, and so the time for my departure was approaching. In fact, I was within 20 minutes of takeoff time, which means that others had already boarded the plane, but I'd done this many times. I wasn't nervous. Uh, With 20 minutes, you still have plenty of time to get on the plane. It's no big deal. So I finally got my food, And uh, I decided, you know, it might be wise to start enjoying my burger on the way to the gate uh, because I didn't know how much time I'd have to sit down and eat it there at the gate. And so I'm eating my burger and making my way down the long hallway towards my gate with the moving walkways to help me get there faster and all of this and uh, having a great time. My gate was around the next corner and it was as I was kind of, you know, walking and eating my burger that I heard this announcement over the speakers. I, I couldn't see my gate yet at this point. Uh, was, uh, this is the final call. And then my ears perked up a little bit. Okay, is this my gate? Is this my plane? Final call for flights, yada, 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 to Des Moines. Uh-oh, that's me. <laughs> Any other passengers before we close the doors? And so I picked up my pace a little bit. The burger went in the trash, and I booked it right to the doorway. And uh, I still had a few minutes, uh, so anyway, I made it on the plane. I I, might have been the last one on the plane. I mean, you know. But hearing that announcement, final call, to Des Moines, Uh (laughs) uh-oh, time to go, time to book it, time to get there. We hear a message like that, and it makes a difference so much more so with the Word of God, which when it comes to us, makes all the difference in the world. It's effective. And God has given us His Spirit, and He's given us His Word, and He's the one who makes it effective. We don't have to do that. I don't have to produce anything extra to make the words of God effective. It just is. And so don't be afraid to share the Word. It's not about how well you say it. It's not about how rehearsed it is. It's not about uh, your you know, logical reasoning that convinces somebody. No, no, the Word of God is what's effective. And the Spirit can use His Word. Reminded of this in Romans chapter 10, where it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is what God uses to draw people to faith in Christ. Not everyone will believe, but He uses the word to do it. And so God has given us his spirit. He's enabled us to spread his word, to have relationships, to speak, to talk, and he makes his word effective. And so we can trust him. If you've ever felt inadequate, remember Acts chapter 2. 
where God, basically by his own strength, fulfilled the promise of Acts 1.8. He, he brought the world to the disciples and then enabled them to speak in foreign tongues. And so as they're thinking, how are we going to do this? I imagine they look back on Acts 2 and thought, oh, that's how we're going to do it. God's going to do it. We just speak. God does it all. Friend, the Lord has left you on the earth for a reason. Maybe He's left you here to give you more time to believe in His Son. Today is the day of salvation. Don't resist any longer. Don't put it off anymore. You've heard His word that salvation is only found in the name of Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again. God may have you here listening in this room or joining us online because today's the day that you'll trust in Christ as Savior and receive God's Spirit in your life and join His mission. Maybe that's why you're here. The only other reason we're still on the earth after we trust in Christ as Savior is to be participating in the mission of God. This life is not for comfort. You don't have to think very hard to realize that. We're not here to get comfortable, to find pleasure or any of these things. We're here to witness to the salvation that is available in Christ. That's why we're here. That's our mission. And be encouraged because God has given you everything you need to accomplish that mission. Completely. Everything. And you can trust Him with that. He's given you His Spirit and He's given you His Word. So that you can speak to a lost and dying world that salvation is available in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them and rose again. We're here for this one reason. Therefore, there's nothing more important in the life of the believer than yielding to God's Spirit. If I'm here for one reason, and it's to accomplish God's mission, and if all that I need to accomplish that mission is His Word, which I have, and His Spirit, which I have, then The whole thing is yield to God's Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. And when I do, turn back to Him right away and make myself available and surrendered for whatever He would do. That is everything in accomplishing God's mission. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.25. For those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, which we do, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for the gift of your Spirit. It's hard for us to fathom that God dwells in us. That through the work of your Son, we are cleansed and Through His ascension, you have sent your Spirit and now dwells in us. We have everything we need to serve you effectively. And so we pray for your help. Help us to say no to ourselves and yes to you. Help us to speak faithfully of the wonderful works you have done in our lives and in the lives of others to share the word without hesitation and without fear, leaning completely on you. 
Oh, grow your church and magnify your name here in Grimes and in our lives and in our context and so forth. Make your name great through us as we yield to you. And we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.